You're listening to Matt Walsh On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. Well, it's good to be back after a few weeks weeks off. Well, one week off from writing, two weeks off from podcasting. And I guess, uh, well, I just started with a lie, so forgive me for that. I, I can't say that it's good to be back exactly. Maybe good isn't the word that I would use. Uh, I, you know, I took off so that I could help around the house, help with the kids as my wife settles in with the new, the new baby, uh, baby Jeremiah was born two weeks ago, which I mentioned on Facebook already, I think. And my job was mainly to keep the twins entertained. And so that's what I did for a week and we had fun. Uh, and, and it was nice to, to just do that, just focus on them, not worry about what's happening in the news, what's happening with politics and all that. So I took the kids. Uh, we went to the playground a bunch of times. We ate a lot of pizza. We had a lot of ice cream. We went hiking. We went to the movies. I was nervous about that, by the way, taking two three-year-olds to the movies. Um, first time I'd done that. But actually, it went, you know, it went pretty well. It was a very successful trip. In fact... Before we, before we went into the movie, uh, we saw that D- the new Disney movie. Well, I just I wanted to take him to the movie because it was something to do for a day, and it was cold and it was raining. And so I just, whatever Disney movie was out, I figured we'd just go see that one. So there was some Disney movie out called Mona or Moana, something like that. Uh, about It's, it's like, you know, the, the standard Disney princess story, except with um, Pacific Islanders. And uh, so we took our, them to that, and I lectured the kids about, you know, you got to sit still, you got to be quiet. I figured we'd make it maybe an hour into the movie and we'd have to leave because the kids would get restless. But the way it ended up is that Julia, my daughter, was shushing me throughout the movie. I was the one misbehaving because I was talking to my son, Luke, uh, at different points in the movie. So it turns out that I was the behavior problem, not them. But I mean, the movie was like four hours long plus 87 minutes of previews. Plus, apparently, every Disney movie now has a, they do a, 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 a short, a, a short film before the big film. So you've got, you know, the commercials before the previews start, and then the previews, and then the short film, and then the film. And by the time it starts, it's been, but by, by the time the movie starts, it's been eight hours already, or at least that's how it felt. And it's hard to sit still if you're a thirty-year-old man, and be quiet through all that. So. My daughter was lecturing me after the movie about the need to be quiet when you're watching movies. Okay. So anyway, I'm back now. And uh, that means, you know, thinking about forming opinions about all the awful things happening in the world. And awful things are are uh, are always happening, of course. Um, what's going on this week? Well, we've got the fires in Tennessee. Wildfires ravaging towns, destroying dozens of homes and other structures. Virtually no coverage in the media. Very little coverage, I should say. 
you know, and, and, and it, it's, it seems almost like it, it isn't happening. And why is that? Why isn't anyone talking about it? Because it's a big story. Um, well, you've got Southern, these are Southern white folks that are being Southern small town white folks are the ones being affected. And we know that the media, that's not their sort of preferred demographic. It's not the demographic they're most concerned about. And the thing is, we hear, people say that when things happen in black neighborhoods, the media will ignore it because of racism or what have you. But it seems to me, from my observation of the media and from what I've seen, that when natural, talking specifically about natural disasters here for a minute, when natural disasters strike major cities, and major cities have high black populations, they get a ton of coverage. It's when these disasters strike middle America, Southern America, white Southern America, that we specifically, that's when we don't hear about them. And um, that's not all because of bias or whatever against white Southerners. That, that is part of it. But we have to remember, here's the other thing we have to remember, is that, is that media elites, um, in terms of, of physical proximity, live much closer to black America. They share the same cities. Even if the media elites are in the much nicer sections of it, they still live in the same general communities. Um, and that's why if there's a big fire or something in one building in New York, I, I could, you know, this, is ha- this happens every once in a while. I can remember one time a few months ago, there was some fire in a, in a building in New York, not even in one of the nicer sections, but one of the poorer sections. And wasn't terrorism or anything like that. I don't think anyone was killed, but all of the the all, all three cable news channels were covering this burning building in a city. Nobody was nobody's life was threatened, and every, all the national just the entire nation's eyes were pointed to this one burning building in a city because that city was New York. And why, you know, why does that, because and that's where the media elites all live. They live in New York. So obviously if something's happening in New York, it, it's, it's, it's the most relevant thing. It's the most relevant thing in the world because it's happening in New York, which is where they live. And New York is so important. Nothing's more important than New York. It's New York for goodness sakes. You have one burning building in New York and everyone has, we all have to pay attention. Oh my goodness. One burning building in New York. A hundred burning buildings are in flames in, in, in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Doesn't matter. One burning building in New York, that matters. A hundred buildings in, in Gatlinburg, doesn't matter. It could be a thousand buildings. in. I don't even know if there probably aren't a thousand buildings in, in Gatlinburg. But all of the buildings could be on, on fire in Gatlinburg and doesn't matter. Because the media, the media members, they don't live there. They don't care. And it's really as simple as that for the most part. You see, we get very confused about media bias and we assume that almost all of the media bias is driven by their political ideology. And that is part of it. But there's also the more visceral bias, the the simpler bias, the bias that we all experience to some extent where we think the things happening closest to us physically are the things that are most the most important. And so the media falls into that trap too, forgetting that they're broadcasting to an audience potentially of 330 million people. They think, well, all the people closest to us, they're the ones that matter the most. And then beyond that, there's also the, 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 uh, 
sort of marketing bias, the financial bias, that you know before they do things um, out of ideology, they do things out of a financial interest. And I think media members, they're more interested in advancing their financial interests than they are in advancing their ideological interests. So we should always remember that. All right. Um, what else? We have a terrorist attack. This is what I want to focus on. We have a terrorist attack at Ohio State, which happened yesterday. And um, already, this is a terrorist attack uh, in, on American soil, major American university. And already, it's like this thing never happened. And yeah, the terrorist, uh, his name, uh, what was his name? Well, I, I, I don't remember his name. I don't care to look it up. It doesn't matter. His name doesn't matter. So terrorist guy, let's call him. Uh, terrorist guy, he didn't successfully kill, kill anyone besides himself. He was shot dead by cops. Good guys with guns, by the way. Shot and killed him. So he didn't, But he didn't kill anyone himself. But he did maim nine people, hit him with his car, others he slashed with a machete. And we're not hearing a lot about it. Why is that? Well, because this thing, first of all, is like the anti-narrative. That's what's incredible about it. It's the anti-media narrative. What's, let's think about what, what's the ideal kind of attack for the media as far as the media is concerned. What's the most politically convenient and advantageous sort of attack as far as the media is concerned, as far as liberals are concerned? A white racist Southerner kills minorities with a gun. That's the ideal attack for the media. They have a field day with that kind of attack. But it's also very rare. Very rare. So they usually have to settle for something less ideal, but 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 still they can find something to work with within it. Um, Muslim guy kills a bunch of gay Americans, as happened in Orlando not too long ago. And yeah, it'd be better for them if he wasn't Muslim, if he was a Christian, a white Christian. But... Uh, they have the gun control angle still. They have homophobia. They can tie it to Christians. Well, they can't really tie it to Christians, but uh, but they will, and they did. So they, they can work with it. But what happened here? This was a black Muslim Somali refugee. I mean, you, you couldn't think of a, a black Muslim Somali refugee. The only thing that would make it less convenient for the media is if he was also gay, which I don't know if he was or not. No indication that he was. So a black Muslim Somali refugee attacking college students with a car and a knife. No gun control angle. No, the, the gun control angle is on the opposite end of the spectrum because it was a good guy with a gun that stopped him. So there's no gun control angle that they can exploit. No racism angle that they're willing to explore. Obviously, this guy was racist. Um, it would seem he wasn't a fan of white Americans. But they're not willing to get into that. So this is perhaps the most inconvenient terrorist attack to have ever taken place on American soil for leftists. Certainly not the first time a refugee has attacked people. Not the, Certainly not the first time a Muslim has attacked people on American soil. But the fact that he wasn't even using a gun makes it extremely inconvenient. So what do they do? Well, the next course of action is just to ignore it. But... There's something else about this attack that um, I want to get into here. Uh, aside from the usual and also very important conversation about how militant Islam drives people in this direction, has been doing so for millennia. But aside from that, aside from Islam's influence on these kinds of terrorists, 
Let's talk about liberalism's influence on these kinds of terrorists. And I suspect that this is the real reason why the left doesn't want to talk about this incident. Because this guy, again, can't remember his name, doesn't matter. This guy was actually highlighted and quoted in, I believe, the student newspaper at Ohio State. And he, b- before all this happened, uh, they did some story about you know, Muslims who felt uncomfortable because of Islamophobia. And uh, he's, you know, he's got a long quote where he's talking about Islamophobia, how it's so rampant, and it makes him uncomfortable to pray in public. Uh, he feels unsafe. He feels like people assume that he's a terrorist. Well, it turns out that if people did assume that, it turns out that they assumed correctly. Um, but the fact that he had been whipped into a frenzy by the left's Islamophobia narrative, that's something worth focusing on, I think. Now, he also left a ranting final message on, um, on Facebook, making similar points, talking about how Islam is under attack and so forth. This again demonstrates the, uh, the fact that's been established now over and over again that leftist narratives kill. You know, it's the same point I made back when uh, that BLM terrorist murdered cops in Dallas. Same point I've made many times. I hate to repeat myself, but it comes up so often, unfortunately. And that's that when you, when you go around instilling a victim mentality in people's heads, when you, when you put this in their minds, when you tell them that they're under attack from white people, law enforcement, whatever, when you paint this picture of America as a systematically racist cesspool of hatred and bigotry, when you do all that, well, you're lying, first of all. And, uh, but importantly, you're telling a lie that people will act upon. It's not even irrational for someone who believes that cops are literally hunting down black people in the streets and executing them. It's not irrational for such a person to kill cops. You know, it's irrational for them to believe such a thing in the first place, to believe that, the, that you know, there's this, uh, that cops are predominantly racist psychopaths and they're uh, tro- trolling through the streets looking for innocent, unarmed black people to, to execute and shoot down for no reason. Considering that such a thing almost never happens, and that is that a, a, an innocent black person unarmed who is proposing no threat to anyone is gunned down. It almost never happens. It does happen. It's extremely rare. Um, how, and of the times that it happens, how many of those instances have been motivated by racial hatred? Well, I don't know. A few of them, none of them, who knows? So it's irrational to believe this. But this is what's, this is the narrative that's advanced by liberals in the mainstream. It's not even out on the fringes anymore. And so once you buy into it, as irrational as it is, the next step is quite logical. Um, it, it's kind of like if, if, uh, if I told you that there's uh, been some kind of zombie apocalypse and everyone outside your house they're all zombies now. They they might look normal, but there's and they they're 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 more normal looking zombies than what you're used to, you're used to seeing in Hollywood. But they're all zombies, and if you let them get close to you, they're going to eat your face. Um, if I told you that, of course, it's a lie. Although people do 
tend to behave more and more like zombies these days, it seems like. So maybe it's not that outlandish of, of a lie. But if I told you that, the irrational part would be for you to believe me. But if, if you then go out into the streets with a gun and just start gunning down everybody you see, that part isn't really irrational. That's not, you, you can't say, well, it doesn't make any sense why he did that. Now, it makes sense why he did that. He did that because he thought they were all zombies. What doesn't make sense is that he thought they were zombies. But once he's crossed that bridge, the next part makes total sense. I mean, if everyone's zombies, of course you should kill them all. They're going to try to eat your face, for goodness sakes. So believing the narrative, believing the narrative of the racist zombie cop, uh, that's the irrational part. Acting upon it once you've come to believe it, that part is not really irrational. And for Muslims... If they believe, as they're told, that it's dangerous to be a Muslim in America, it's dangerous. Islamophobia is rampant, and Muslims are are you know victims of uh, prejudice and attacks and and so on. And it happens so often that it's dangerous to be a Muslim in America. Uh, well, for the Muslim to then lash out preemptively, that's not irrational necessarily. If it's not a logical response, at least it's a predictable one. The irrational and really illogical part is when they come to believe it. You know, the idea that it's dangerous to be a Muslim in America. No, it's dangerous to be a Muslim in Muslim countries. That's where it's dangerous to be a Muslim. It's dangerous to be a Muslim in, uh, in Syria, in Libya, in Iraq and Afghanistan, in, in, uh, in North Africa. Okay, It's dangerous to be a Muslim there. It's dangerous to be a Muslim in countries where there are a lot of other Muslims. It's not dangerous to be a Muslim in the United States. This is probably the safest place in the world for Muslims, which is why the refugees are coming here. And that's why they're not going to Saudi Arabia or Iran, aside from the, or Turkey, aside from the fact that they're not accepted there. They're not trying to, they want to come here because it's, this is the safest place in the world for Muslims. So to believe the, especially for a ref, this is a guy who came here seeking, um, seeking protection. He's a refugee. Then he wants to say he's a victim. How's he a victim? This is a refugee that came to the United States and now he's going to Ohio State. You know, he's just a normal, seemingly American who just gets up, he goes to class, he lives his life, he's got a Facebook account, he's, you know, doing whatever he's doing with his life. He's not being hunted down. Nobody's hunting him down and attacking him. He doesn't have to fear for his life. There's not going to be any roving bands of, uh, of savages coming to his house and burning down his house and, and, and killing his, his mother, trying to behead him in the, in the, in, in, you know, in the town square for apostasy. That, that's not happening in America. He doesn't have to worry about it. He's living a normal life. The worst thing he has to worry about is, uh, is that he'll get an awkward glance or something. He'll hear opinions he doesn't like. He'll encounter a Trump supporter. You know, that's, the, that's the worst thing he has to worry about. Yet even he had come to believe that it's dangerous to be a Muslim in the very country that he came to because he knows deep down it's not dangerous to be a Muslim here. That's the illogical and the irrational part. Once he's come to believe that, the next part is not as irrational. So what does that mean? It means when you instill this victim mentality, uh, when, when, when you put that into someone's head, this dishonest, irrational... Um, a victim mentality that's not based in reality at all. And you're doing it as a, you know, as a, as a liberal, you're doing it just for political reasons. And when you instill it, especially in populations such as the Muslim population, a population clearly to some degree predisposed to violence, then you have to accept some of the responsibility for what happens next. 
It's really as simple as that. You know, it's not an anti-free speech thing. It's not about, you know, wor- yeah, words don't kill, all that kind of stuff. I realize that. The primary person responsible for what this terrorist guy did yesterday is the terrorist guy himself. But we know that ideas have consequences. And it's time to start talking about that. So, of course, first and foremost, you know, any um, Muslim mentors in his life who, who put, who quote-unquote radicalized him, I'm sure we'll find out more about that as time goes on. You know, those, no, nobody would argue that those people aren't to some extent responsible. If he has some radical imam or something like that who he consulted with, who, who, who quote-unquote radicalized him, militarized him, put these ideas in his head, nobody would argue that that person isn't to some degree also responsible and criminally so for what happened. But let's go beyond that. And, and yeah, that person didn't, didn't pull the, he didn't uh, drive the car himself. He didn't wield the machete himself, but he put the ideas in and, and he did it for a reason. And so he's to some extent also responsible. But let's go beyond that, okay? Because it's not just them. What about liberal media and the, the, the liberalism in this country, generally speaking, that takes these populations and tells them, you're under attack. You're under assault. They're coming after you. It's a, this is a dangerous place to be. And it's not true. Now, if it were true, that'd be different, okay? If it were actually true that racist cops throughout the country are, are prowling the streets literally hunting black people and shooting them for no reason in the middle of the street. If that were actually happening, if that were actually an epidemic occurring in the United States, then it wouldn't be your fault for talking about it, of course, and for telling people. You should tell people about it. But if it's not happening and you make it up and you tell people and you tell the wrong person and he acts on it, how are you not also responsible to some degree? If I steal your garden hose, and then I, and I, I, okay, I'm going somewhere with this analogy. Hold on. Where am I going with it? Okay, I know where. If I steal your garden hose and then I go to you and, uh, and I tell you, uh, I, you know, I didn't steal your garden hose. Your neighbor did. Your neighbor, Tom, he's the one who stole it. And then you go next door to Tom's house. You knock on the door. He opens it and you punch him in the face for stealing your garden hose. Now, that was an irrational response on your part uh, to the provocation. But am I not at least partially responsible for the fact that Tom just got his nose broken. I told a vicious and dangerous lie about Tom to somebody else trying to provoke anger in that other person towards Tom. That's what I was trying to do. Now, maybe I didn't know that you'd actually go and, uh, and, uh, punch him in the face. Maybe I didn't know that. Maybe I did. Maybe I know that you're predisposed to violence. Maybe I know you're a violent person. Maybe I know you're kind of a hothead. Whether I knew or not, I was trying to provoke anger in you towards your neighbor, Tom. And I told a lie to do it. So when you act on that anger, yes, I am at least partially responsible because I set the wheels in motion and I did it on purpose. So when you have liberals who are telling Muslims and they're telling black people and they're telling all, you know, all these different minority groups that look at those white people, look at those Christians, look at those Republicans, those conservatives, they're out to get you, they're trying to get you, they hate you, they're bigoted, they're plotting against you, it's dangerous to be around them. When I tell you that and you act on it, I am partially responsible. I set the wheels in motion and I did it on purpose. I was trying to do it and it worked. And so, yes. I'm partially responsible. And these narratives that are concocted by liberals are responsible. The people who advance these narratives are responsible. They're never going to take responsibility for it, but we at least should hold them responsible. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And that's going to do it for me today. I'll talk to you guys uh, next time. I appreciate Scott Speed.